We are on a uh, series called uh, Rooted King, uh, Foundations for Kingdom Living. We are uh, currently studying understanding the true nature of God. And uh, this, this is, can be very difficult. Um, these messages that we've been giving can be very di difficult because of the way that many of us have been taught to believe about God. Because the way that we've been taught to believe about God actually comes from the scriptures. But the problem is, is that if you misinterpret and misunderstand why God did and acted the way he did and acted in certain times in biblical history, the reason behind it, and you take and mix that together, things that he did in an old covenant, and you mix it together with what he's revealed himself in the new covenant, it's going to really screw up your relationship with God. And this is so important because if Christians, if Christians are having a hard time understanding the true nature of God and representing the true, true nature of God, how in the world can we ever represent him to the, wor to the world? Right? You know, we, 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 the church has done such a good job of misrepresenting God that we even write, write him into our insurance policies. An act of God. You know, a hurricane, tornado comes through, that's an act of God. No, it's not. No, it's not. So if you've got the act of God policy on there, you, you tell them to take it off there. It's active, this fallen world. So we're going to build on this today. Next week, or the next time we come back to teach on this, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, talk about what is God's true nature. Well, we have to spend three weeks dismantling this false identity that we have about God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your, the wisdom of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank, that, thank you that you're unlocking the hidden mysteries and, and you're revealing them to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, it's to enter the kingdom, we just have to become like children. We just have to trust and have faith that our Father loves us and that he's going to take care of every need that we have. And we receive that all today because of the mighty work that Jesus Christ has done for us all. And we receive it in his name. In Jesus' name, amen. So the ideas, the ideas that most Christians have about the nature of God gives them a totally wrong impression about God and how he is. And the reason why? Because our ideas come from a mixture of the Old and the New Testaments. People look to the Old Testament to see who God is based on the things that he did. But most of the time, they misunderstand why God did the things that he did. And they get a wrong impression of who he is. There are things that...
looking at this scripture the last three weeks, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. We are to trust the Lord with all our heart. But how, is, how can you trust in someone that you can't be sure that it's safe to trust him? That he might not always be out for your best will and your best benefit. Trust, it means a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability or strength of someone or something. Do we trust God that way? That he is reliable? That we don't, we don't have to, to become our own God in our life? That we don't have to work out our own problems? That God is reliable? That he's trustworthy? See, what you believe about a person will affect how you interact with that person. Do you know that? Most, most, most people, you, you cannot even really know somebody, but because you have a preconceived idea that they don't like you, you're going to interact with that person totally different. And the truth of the matter is, they might like you a lot, and they're actually thinking, you know, I wonder what they, why they don't like me. You, you understand that? What you believe about a person will impact how you interact with that person. It will influence that relationship. It's the same with God. What you believe about God will affect your entire relationship with him. It affects how you trust him, and how you trust him affects how you're able to receive from him. Wrong knowledge always produces wrong results. Wrong knowledge always produces wrong results. True faith is trust in the knowledge of God. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting in the knowledge that we have been given about God. And what is perfect knowledge about God? Jesus. Jesus is the perfect, the exact representation, the glory of, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. But so often, when we talk about God, we say, well, what about this? And we turn back to Moses. What about this? We turn back to Elijah. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah showed up, and the disciples wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And God took away Moses and Elijah and said, this is my son, hear ye him. Jesus is perfect theology. Faith is based on knowledge. And wrong knowledge will always produce wrong faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, but faith working through love. Faith worketh through love. Faith is directly related to the knowledge of how much God loves you. You know, if you don't believe that God loves you, guess what? You're going to have a hard time having faith in that God. 
Do you know do you know that if you leave a church service and you have fear towards God that that you should never ever have a tormenting fear, a worry, a dread about God. Because God is love and perfect love. When you hear about God, perfect love casts out fear. Right? Last week, or no, two weeks ago, because last week was Father's Day. Everybody have a good Father's Day? I did. Yeah, it's good. Man, exciting out there. <laughs> so, uh, but the last time we, we, we were talking along these lines, we looked at how the disciples were rebuked. Jesus rebuked the disciples because the Samaritans, remember the city of Samarita? He, he was... He was going into the city, and they, because he was going to Jerusalem, and they didn't like the Jews or Jerusalem, and there's a whole religious thing going on there, they um, rejected him. And they said, would you have us call fire down from heaven to destroy them like Elijah did? And Jesus rebuked them and says, you don't know what spirit you are of. For I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save it. That's the will of the Father. Elijah, Elijah would have been rebuked if Jesus was present in the earth when he called down fire from heaven. You know that? The nature of God is Nineveh. The nature of God is Nineveh. See, the problem with Nineveh is, is we get lost in the big fish thing. God chose Noah. Oh, no, no, not, not Noah. Jonah. God chose Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was an evil, revile, terrible city. And to preach to them so that they would repent. And Jonah hated the Ninevites. And he refused to go and preach to Nineveh because he knew the nature of God. He knew that he did not, God's nature was not to destroy. He knew, and I think that's why God chose Jonah. Because he understood his nature. And you know the moral of the story. God gets his way. <laughs> and, and Jonah goes and preaches to the Ninevites. And the whole, the whole city repents. And then Jonah's upset that they repented. Man, does that sound like Christians or what? We want, we want the fire to come down and destroy. We want people, we want the, we, we want, we want God to be the God that comes in with the hurricanes and the destruction and the, and the chaos. Because we think that <laughs> people don't deserve his mercy and grace even though we've received it ourselves. 
the last time we asked if you wanted to know why God seems so different in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. You know, did he, did he, is he schizophrenic? Does he, you know, and, and we all know that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why does he seem so different? And that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to answer today. It's true that God does seem very different in the Old Testament than, than what we see represented in Jesus in the New Testament. But the thing of it is, there's glimpses everywhere, but we don't focus on that. I mean, even Sodom and Gomorrah, even Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, you know, it got down to five, what was it, five or something like that. He's negotiating with God. God, this is not who you are. You're not a God that just wipes out and destroys. But that sin was so rampant and it was affecting the whole region that God had to do something. And it got down where, you know, if, if there's 12, if there's, God says, I will, I will not destroy the city if there's, if there's 12. Right? He's negotiating with Abraham. And you know what happens? There wasn't 12. And it ended up that there, it was only Lot's family that was somewhat righteous and his wife didn't even make it out. God saved Lot's family. He tried to save them all. That's the nature of God. See, it's not it's not that his nature was different, but the covenants were different. The covenants were different. The law caused the righteousness of God to demand and do some very brutal things, some harsh things. The law demanded it. Sin demanded it. In the Old Testament, if your children were rebellious and disrespectful, under the law, you were to bring them to the elders Elders, and guess what was to happen to them? They were to be stoned to death. And the parents were the first ones to throw the stones. If a person committed adultery or any other sexual sins, they were to be stoned to death. Man. See? You kids, you better... We'll go, we'll go, back, we'll go back to some Old Testament... Uh, no. Do you know that God, when he sent the Israel, Israelites into the promised land, that, that he commanded them to kill everyone? He commanded them to kill men. He commanded them to kill women. He commanded them to kill children, the babies, everything, even the animals. And, and if, you look, if, you, if you look at church history and you, and you look at... Uh, historical accounts, even secular, secular um, accounts, the people at that time were evil. Bestiality, just perversions, um, ch child sacrifice, all of these things. They, they used to have these brazen altars that had a hand and they'd, they'd um, put an oven, a fire with inside this brazen raised an idol, and then they'd heat it up, and then they'd lay their babies in the hands of this false god. Yeah. There's, there's people that still worship them today. 
this, they were evil. There's there's even even writings where the animals themselves were possessed by demon spirits. And that's why it wasn't no big surprise when the donkeys spoke to Balaam. I always wondered that. I read the thing about Balaam and all of a sudden this donkey starts talking to him and like, He's not taken back on that or nothing, you know. Some very weird stuff happened in, in, in the Old Testament. And, and they were, people were demonized. And there was no way to change them. There was no way to change them. They couldn't be born again. They couldn't be saved. Do you know that the first person, the first person to be punished for for breaking the law, do you know what he was doing? He was picking up sticks for a fire. He was picking up firewood on the Sabbath. And he's breaking the Sabbath of no working on the Sabbath. And Moses goes to God and says, what do we do with them? You know what God says? Kill them. How can a loving God do something like that? It's because humanity had a terminal disease called sin. And sin destroys everything. It's like cancer in humanity. It's like cancer. When the body has cancer, the portion of the body that needs, there's a portion of the body that has the cancer needs to be removed or it will spread throughout the whole body and kill the body. Do you understand that? Sin is that way in humanity. And until there was a cure, until there was a cure for this disease called sin, God had to take some drastic measures. Do you think cutting off your arm to save the body? That's drastic, isn't it? You, you No one would want to lose an arm. But if it's to save the whole body, it has to be done. Do you understand that? Under the Old Testament, people could not change. They could not receive a new nature. They couldn't be born again. So God used the law to bring the knowledge of sin and the wrath against unrighteousness. The law was used to slow up sin spreading in the earth. That's why today if you go go out and live under the old covenant and kill your children for rebellion, Jesus would rebuke you. The church should rebuke you. But it's interesting that, oh, yeah, we don't, do, we don't practice that one anymore. But you've got to do this, 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 and this. There is a difference. There's a difference from the old and new covenants, but most people do not know the difference, so they mix the two together. So they say, oh, yes, God loves you. And at the same time, they say, but if you don't do what he commands you to do, he's going to get you. He's going to rob. He's going to kill. He's going to nuke you. He's going to send floods. He's going to send hurricanes. He's going to bring destruction. He's going to steal your children from you. To teach you that you need to live holy. Now come to Jesus. 
<laughs> Don't you want to have a relationship with this loving God? Amen. No wonder we have such a conflicting view when it comes to God. And if, and if Christians, if believers, if his children are so confused about his true nature, what hope does the world have? And that's the thing of it is, is a lot of them, because of our convic convicting views about God and how we portray God, they're like thinking, you're nuts. Why would I want anything to do with that, that God? The misconceptions that we have of God come from the Word of God. Not that there's anything wrong with the Word of God, but the misunderstanding and misapplication is the issue. Most people believe that when God gave the law to Moses, that it was a, the blessing of God. You know, when, it, when, God, when God gave the law to Moses in, on Sinai, they read the law to the children of Israel. And he asked them, is this the covenant? This is basically what he said. It's asked them, is this how you want our relationship to be? Will you keep these laws? Blessing and cursing based on your right doing. Do good, get good. Do bad, get beat. And what did the children of Israel say? Yes, we are well able to keep all your commandments. You know what they should have done? They should have fell on their face and says, Who is worthy to keep your statutes and commandments? Who is able? Who has the strength? Give us Give us the covenant of our father Abraham. Give us the covenant of grace and relationship through grace and your ability, not our ability. But the pride of man, just like eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will choose what is good. I will choose what is evil. I will become my own God. I will be my own righteousness. I will earn my own salvation. But most people think that the law was a blessing from God. That it was awesome that God, God gave the law to bless Israel. Read, read what it did. Isn't it wonderful that God is showing us what we had to do to get right with him. To be right. So we can be right and others can be wrong. All we have to do is this list and everything's going to go good. That's false. We are going to see from Scripture that the law was not, giving, was not given to help you, but to hurt you. The law was given to kill, to make sin come alive, to empower sin in your life. When's the last time you heard that preached about the law? The law was not a good thing, but it was a necessary thing. If you have an infection in your arm, it's better to cut off the arm than have the infection kill the entire body. The law accomplished a purpose, but the law was meant to help you. It, that's wrong. The law accomplished a purpose, but the law was not meant to help you. It was actually meant to hurt you. The law was not the love of God, but the wrath of God towards sin. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, it, it, leading up to verse 9, he's talking about Abraham being the father of our faith and how um, Abraham was righteous before God by faith. And in verse 9 it says, So then 
those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. <laughs> For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. There's a lot right there. In verse 10 it says, works of the law. Question, are you of the works of the law? And you're thinking, I'm not of the works of the law. Well, the works of the law is simply anything you believe, your, you know, your list of requirements that you have to do to get God to move in your life. Some of you are in church this morning because you think you, it's one on your list. You're not here because of the benefits of hearing the scriptures revealed to you. You're not here to be edified and build up to go out and change the world. You're here because if you're not here, God, I might lose my job. My car is going to break down. I'm going to, my house will burn down. My children will go crazy. My wife is going to leave me. Come on. You do this, and then God does that. That's law. So are you of the works of the law? If we're truthful, most of our prayer lives are just nothing more than negotiating with God based on the works of the law. God, I'm in trouble. If you come through this time, I'll do this, this, and this. And then he comes through, and you do this, and then forget about that. You're negotiating with God based on your performance. You're negotiating with God. You, you're a legalist. This is not what the New Testament teaches. In the New Testament, God has already done it all, and we just believe it by faith. If you believe that, that if I do this, then God will do that, you're a legalist, and you have a law mentality. That sounds like a hurt. In verse 10, look at verse 10 up here. In verse 10 it says, For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The law brought a curse. When's the last time you heard that? The law actually brought a curse. You are cursed if you do not keep all the requirements of the law. James 2.10 um, says that uh, if you keep the whole law but miss it in one point, you are guilty of it all. Verse 11, no one can be justified, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. No one can be justified by the law. Even in the Old Testament, people could not be justified through the law. How were they justified in the Old Testament? By faith in the sacrifices. And we know that the sacrifices, they didn't actually do away with sin. They just covered sin until the ultimate sacrifice, God himself could come and die for humanity. It's interesting. 
that every time, every time Israel went into captivity and bondage is when they stopped sacrificing unto God. Because that's the only thing that covered sin. You can't be justified through the law. Look at verse 12. The law is not of faith. The law is not of faith, and the just shall live by faith. Romans 14, 23 says, listen to this, whatever is not of faith is sin. So is the law sin? No, the law is not sin. But if you're using it to obtain right standing with God, it becomes sin unto you. The law itself is not sin, but the law is sin if you use it for the wrong purposes. The law was not given to bring you closer to God. The law does not help you with your relationship with God. The law actually hinders it. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin. Right? So what, what causes death in humanity and in the world? Sin. Man, if we could just figure out what causes, what, where sin gets its strength. Oh, there it is. The strength of sin is the law. What gives strength to sin? The law. The law does not strengthen you in the battle It's against sin. It strengthens sin against you in the battle. So if you preach the law, if we preach the law to people, guess what? We're strengthening them to live we're not strengthening them to live free from sin. We're saying we're strengthening sin in their life. Man. The law was not given to weaken our enemy, but to weaken you. Most of Jesus' teaching in the gospel, see, this is, again, understanding what Jesus was doing. In the gospel, Jesus was preaching to the Jews, Right? And most of the gospel was Jesus elevating the law to the, sta to the rightful standard. Because what happened was, is the religious leaders of that time reduced the law from, through men's traditions. They reduced the law from men's traditions and they, to make it attainable for them. And Jesus says, if your righteousness does not exceed those of the Pharisees, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. So the most religious cats at the time, he's telling Everyone else, you've got to be more righteous than they are. And, and, and they perverted it and used men's traditions. One of the ways is through honor. He said, God commanded you to honor your father and mother. And what they said, it says, if you give money to the church, if you give money to the church that you would have used to take care of your parents in their old age, then you're, you're free from having to take care of your parents in their old age. That's, and Jesus came against that. Jesus says, if, 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 you look at, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He says, if you hate someone, you've already murdered them. See, the problem is, is you might not have been doing it on the outside, but on the inside, you are filled with unrighteousness and dead men's bones. The law was not given to weaken the enemy. It was given to weaken you. See, the problem with, with the law 
in, in religious people is we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. What that's saying is, it's saying that if you point to someone and say, well, if that guy's going to make it to heaven and he does this, this, and this, I'm really going to make it to heaven. The world does this all the time. They say, if those hypocrites at the church building down there are going to make it to heaven, I know that I'm going to make it to heaven because I'm all, I, my neighbor, he's, he, he's a Christian. And I, I know what he does. The problem is, is that unless you're born again, neither one of you are going to make it to heaven. See, Jesus described it this way. This is how the religious people of Jesus' days did it. The, he talked about the, the Pharisee standing there praying. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice that the Pharisee is praying with himself. God's not even in the picture with the prayer. He says, the Pharisee stood there praying thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, exhorters, uh, uh, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And he talks about the tax collector wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven and beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, today, the tax collector, was prayer was received and the Pharisee was not heard. See, this is the problem with the law. We, we have our own little lists. We have our own little things. that it, I do this, this, and this, and so God's pleased with me. But they don't do this, this, and this, so God's not pleased with them. And it's all just a bunch of ugly self-righteousness. Your comparison of righteousness is not other people. Your comparison for righteousness is God. You have to be as right as God is right. God gave the law for people that were filled with pride and self-righteousness to show how unrighteous they truly are. The law was not given so that you can overcome sin. The law was given to show you that sin has already overcome you. That you are powerless to overcome sin and you need a Savior, the grace and mercy of God to stop being self-righteous and come to Jesus and be made the very righteousness of God in Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit, Spirit not be more glorious? This is talking about Moses bringing down the tablets, the Ten Commandments, right? And the Bible calls the Old Testament law a ministry of death. It's not a ministry of life. It's a ministry of death. 
Jesus came to give life, right? The law came by Moses, but grace and truth. What truth? The truth of God came by Jesus Christ. Jesus came to destroy the one who had the power of death. Satan is the author of death. God is the author of life. And the Old Testament law was a ministry of death. It was not for you, but against you. Look at verse, what verse 9 says. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The law is a ministry of what? Condemnation. Yeah, death and condemnation. It's the ministry of condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Right? God is, the, is, not, is, is the, not the author of condemnation. He is the one. He's not the one that's condemning us. In Romans 8.34 says, who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died for us. That's what, that's what God's trying to do for us. He's not trying to condemn us. He's trying to give us new life. Condemnation. Pastor Tom did a great message on condemnation a couple years ago. But condemnation means not fit for use. That's a simple definition. When a building's condemned, guess what? It's not fit to be used. Right? So condemnation means not fit for use. If you ever hear the word of God and you walk away feeling unfit for use, you are not hearing the gospel. You're not hearing the true nature of God. You are in a ministry of death, not of life. You are in the Old Testament, not the new. If you feel unfit to minister to someone, now listen. Right here, we're going we're gonna to be revealing our hearts here. What we really believe about God. If you feel unfit, if you feel unfit to minister to someone, if, 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 if you feel unfit to pray out loud, in a group, if you feel unfit to, to lay hands on the sick and heal, heal the sick, if you feel unfit to preach the gospel, you are condemned. You're condemned. You are judging yourself. You feel unfit to be used. You are judging yourself and your relationship with God not based on Christ but based on the works of the law. God is not the author of condemnation, but the law is a ministry of condemnation. Look at what Romans 3 says. In Romans 3, verse 19, it says, Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. That's interesting. So apparently there are people that were under the law and people that weren't under the law. And you know that Christians, born-again Christians, we're never meant to be under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's why the law was given, so that you might be made guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law was not for you to get close, a closer relationship with God. The purpose of the law was to shut your mouth, to shut you up, to show your guilt. The law gets rid of all your excuses. All your excuses of, I was born in this family. Uh, I'm the wrong color. I'm the wrong gender. I'm, I, I'm, the wrong, I, I'm in the wrong social class. 
All these, all these excuses we have, the law says, shut up. You made these choices in your life. You chose to do these things, and you're guilty. I remember once when I boasted in law when I was young and dumb. We were talking, and, and uh, we were talking about, I, I thought I was pretty proud of myself. We were some other men and stuff like that. And it's kind of embarrassing now, but I love you. That's why I'm sharing it. And I, and I, thought, I thought to myself, you know, I just thought back the last two weeks. You know what? In the last two weeks, I have not sinned, sinned at all. And I said that. I said, the last two weeks, I haven't sinned at all. I've never sinned the last two weeks. And if you want to judge yourself by the law, guess what? God will let he'll, he'll bring the law up. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I had, I had to repent. And I said, as soon as it came out of my mouth, it says, yeah, but you were, you were so slothful. You could, you could have read the Bible more this week. And I said, well, and, I, and I, at least I was honest enough. I said, well, the Lord just told me that I did sin because I could have read the Bible more this week. See, the law doesn't get you closer to God. The law isn't meant to make you feel good about yourself. The law isn't meant to, to make, you feel ho- make you holy. The law brings condemnation. And it's never enough. You can never do enough because you will fall short somewhere in your life always. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. The deeds of the law will not justify you. The law was not given to make you holy. The law was given to give you the knowledge of how sinful you are. The law didn't make you holy. It amplified your unholiness. It magnified your need. Or a savior. So here are six things. Here are six things that the law was given to do. Number one, the law was given to strengthen sin in your life. Number two, the law was given to be a ministry of death in your life. Number three, the law is a ministry of condemnation. So the law was given to bring condemnation into your life. Number four, the law was given to stop your mouth and stop your boasting because you are unable to to live up to the standard of the righteousness of God. Number five, the law was given to make you guilty. Number six, the law was to to give you the knowledge of sin. Are any of these good? Are any of these good? Do you want any of these? But this is what the law was given to produce. This is not the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. The law is not good news. It's bad news. Even here, though, I bet there are those that have this happening in their lives. You feel guilty. You think you're just a sinner. You you think that sin is stronger than you are. That sin is empowered 
over you. That you can't overcome sin. You fear that, that death is reigning in your life instead of the abundant life in Christ Jesus. You think, you think if I'm born again, why do I feel so miserable? Why does every, no, everything stay the same? Nothing changes, ever changes in my life. Why does all this stuff keep happening? Why is it so hard to receive from God? It's happening because you are under the law. I know this is totally different than what you've ever heard. But this is the New Testament. You are not judging yourself. You are not only judging yourself, but you're also judging the nature of God according to a law-based relationship. Unfortunately, Religion pushes this ministry of death and condemnation. It pushes it on its people because they don't understand that the law was only a temporary. It was temporary, and the law was not meant for the children of God. We were never meant to relate to God through a law-based relationship. This is the number one reason we do not enter into the abundance that we see written about in Christ Jesus, written as our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Look at what Romans goes on to say. In Romans um, 3.21, but now, but now, right? Right now. Now is always when? Now. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does that mean? It's witnessed in the prophets, in the Old Testament itself, it said that the Old Testament was going to pass away, that there was something better coming. There was something coming. They witnessed that, that righteousness was not through the law, but it was of faith. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. It's to every creature, every man, every woman on the face of the planet. But when you believe, it comes upon you. You see that? For there is no difference. Why is there no difference? Why is there no difference between us and other people? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the law revealed that we sinned. The law revealed that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And because all of us have sinned and all of us are on the same level, Guess what? We can all receive by faith the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We can be born again and we can be changed. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The bad news of the law doesn't end yet. Look at what Romans 7 says. In 7 2, it says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The law aroused sinful passions. The law aroused sin in your life to the end that it actually bore fruit of death in our life. 
Verse 6, but now we have been delivered from the law. We have been delivered from the law. We have been delivered from the law. Why don't we understand this? Why, why don't we understand that we have been delivered from the law? Why do we continue to put ourselves under the law? Why do we continue to judge ourselves by the law instead of by Christ Jesus? Why do we go to God based on our performance rather than on Christ's performance? You have been delivered from the law. The nature of God is not a law-based exchange. It's grace. It's love manifested in Jesus Christ. Religion will fight you over this. They'll tell you, yeah, I know we're saved by grace, Chad, but you still got to do this, this, and this. Then that's not grace. It's not grace. I mean, So what am I saying? Am I saying that we can go out and live any way we want? Yeah, if you're stupid. Sin brings death. Sin brings destruction. It amazes me. Me and my wife were talking about this just the other, just the other, uh, yesterday I think it was, how we've seen so many people. We've had seen people in our church, and it, it breaks our heart, and, and family members and people, how people's lives can be so screwed up, so messed up. You can see sin just running rampant in their life and bringing destruction and misery. You can see it all over. But they're so prideful. They're so prideful to look at grandma and grandpa. They're so prideful to look at their mom and dad. They're so prideful to look at their friend down the street that serve God, that love God, and try, try to live in this relationship with God and in the kingdom of God. Pride in the human heart is it's just amazing. Sin is evil. It will destroy you. And, and for some reason, the, some people in the church don't like hearing that. But sin is terrible. And the good news is, is you're not a sinner. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. So guess what? You don't even have the want to to sin in you anymore. You might have... You might have a body, a physical body that's been trained to act a certain way. But now, every time you act a certain way, you think, that's not who I am. Why did I act that way? Before, you just did it and said, you were proud of it. He's put new want-tos in you. He's written the law, his, his law on your heart. Right? And we are already, we are not in a law-based re relationship with God. We are in a child-father relationship. We are sons and daughters. We have been made like him. We have been delivered from the law. But religion will tell you, yeah, God loves you, but you still got to do this, this, and this. And they put you right back under the law again. And when they put you back under the law again, guess what they put you back under? They put you back under the strength of sin. They put you back under condemnation. They put you back under a ministry of death. The law is not a wonderful thing. The law was not intended 
to help you defeat sin. It was intended to help sin defeat you. To bring you to your knees. To bring you to your knees. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For, the, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taken opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was death. Or sin was dead. The law is, is not sin as long as you use it for what it was meant for. But when you use it to justify yourself and earn right standing with God, then it becomes sin. Verse 8, look at what verse 8 says. It's, it, it says, sin Use the law to produce all manners of evil desire. So what was the law given for? If it wasn't given to make you holy and righteous before God, if it wasn't given to, to draw you closer to God, what was the law given for? The law had one purpose and one purpose only, to empower sin and drive us from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life. It was given for us to forsake self-righteousness and receive Jesus, Jesus' righteousness by grace through faith. The law was designed to, to drive people to Jesus. And once you come to Jesus, guess what you no longer need? The law. Alicia, you, you and the team want to come up? This is a lot for us to think about this morning. See, people think that the law is such a blessing. That God gave us all these commandments to break the power of sin. It's the complete opposite, church. It's a complete opposite. God gave us the law to make sin come alive and cause you to lust like you've never lusted before. It strengthens sin. The law was given to show you that you don't have the power to overcome sin in your life. All that self-help books, you can read them all you want. But you can't change your nature. Only God can do that. Sin has beaten us all. Every single person on the face of the earth, sin has beaten. And we need to surrender. We need to give up trying to be righteous and thinking we could ever overcome sin. We need a Savior. We need a new nature. We need to be born again. And that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to lead you to Jesus, Jesus Christ, the grace of God. So the old covenant of the law was not given to reveal the nature of God. It was given to reveal your nature apart from God. The true nature of God is not the law. The true nature of God is Jesus. And we're going to look at that in the coming week. We're going to look at what is God's true nature. How are we to relate to God? That's the question we'll answer next time. And it's going to be good. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. 
For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.